time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. What would it look like if you were playing for real, like playing all out, really going for your big goals, trying to figure out how to live and play at your biggest. Well, today I have a chance of talking with David Wood. After his life as a consulting actuary to many Fortune 100 companies, David has become a life coach and he works both with people who are at the top of their success game and those who are struggling to get started because they've been in prison. He wants every human to play the best game they can possibly play in work and life so that they have zero regrets when they die. So David coaches both high-performing leaders and soon-to-be-released prison inmates to higher levels of truth, daring, and caring. Today, David and I will be talking about his three pillars and then his four-point plan to how to get to the best life you want to live and how you can do a little bit of an assessment and even maybe have a chat with David to see where you go next. So join me now as I have a chance to talk with David Wood. David, thank you for being here. I'm excited to talk with you, especially given this uh, play for, uh, for real piece about life. And, and I'm also interested in hearing how you got to that stage and how you got here. So could you tell us just a little bit about your life story, um, how, how you got from wherever that was to where we are today? Sure. I was... Um I was doing well in life, or at least I thought I was. I, I got a scholarship, got paid to go to university. I got a job, um, was already guaranteed for me. And I became a consulting actuary to Fortune 50 companies. And we were based in, in Park Avenue, working for one of the biggest consulting firms in the world. And I thought, you know, I'm just, I'm just doing life really well and I'm succeeding. What I didn't even know was that I'd missed the relational piece so I had a tragedy when I was seven. I witnessed my little sister die in a traffic accident. Now, I didn't even know that that had an impact. I just grew up as I grew up, and I got really good at manifesting things in time and space. I got great at systems. I developed this intellectual skill and became a consulting actuary to Fortune 50 companies based on Park Avenue. But what I missed was the relational piece. I didn't realize that I was missing how to connect with humans deeper, how to know what I'm feeling, how to share what I'm feeling. That was alien to me, but I didn't even know that I didn't know it because I just grew up like a fish doesn't know that it's in water. I didn't know that I was super left brain and missing the EQ. And fortunately, someone recommended a personal growth course and I was very cynical about it. I said, these people are wearing name tags. They're all smiling too much. And I'm going to get in and get out because I had this viewpoint that people who did self-help or any kind of personal growth were weak. Now, fortunately, they cracked my cynicism. I got to see that some people actually care about others and they're devoting their lives to transformation. That was one thing. The other thing is I found myself coaching people during the program. I couldn't help it. There was one woman whose husband had an affair 10 years earlier and she'd been holding it over him, keeping him under the thumb. But then as we got deeper into it, it turns out that someone else had an affair 10 years earlier. She did, hmm. but she hadn't told him that piece. 
So I coached her through what it might look like to reveal that and put her marriage on the line and take a risk so she could be authentic. And she went and did it and said they both felt like they were walking six feet above the ground for the whole weekend. And I was hooked. I'm like, I love this transformation for myself. I want to help others do that. And um, so I, I, it, it didn't happen overnight. But from there, I ended up coaching one person and then another person and then training in it. And I've spent the last 20 years not only coaching others, but also reclaiming that part of myself that I'd lost, reclaiming and learning how do I connect deeper? How do I be more authentic? How do I have more love in my life? And then how do I help others have that too? So to go back to that, uh, that seven-year-old who witnessed that, was that where you locked it away? Was that the point when feelings were not okay? Was it a family thing or was that just you, with that trauma? Well, I can't tell you because all I have is now looking back and coming up with how I think it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, all I know is my family didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to the funeral. They didn't do that in those days. And at the age of 23, I'd broken up with my first love eight times. And I realized I, I can't go back to her without some kind of doctor's note. I have to find out what the hell's going on. And that's when we discovered that I'd had a, I hadn't grieved. Mm-hmm. So I, I spent the next few years exploring my own therapeutic route. And then 15 years after that, just looking for, for more. How do I become more conscious? I actually think we're all rats in a maze. And I don't have a judgment on that. Sometimes the maze is great. But as humans, we have the ability to step outside the maze and get a perspective and go, is this what I want? Or do I want to build a branch on the maze over here or like relocate to this maze over here? Um, Yeah. So let's talk about that maze idea. Um, That's an interesting one. You you talked about uh, earlier before we started recording about life is you're playing at life. It's, It's this game piece. Is that part of the maze or is that something different? That's a good question. I hadn't put those two together. Um, yeah, we can say that. We're, we're in a maze. And again, like the fish, mixing metaphors here, the fish with the water, we don't even, fish doesn't know that it's in the water. So we don't even know we're in a maze. We just get up, go to work, uh, come back, cook dinner. Like we're in our patterns. And I, I'm, I think that that's one way to play the game is to stay in the pattern and just enjoy it. Like really milk it and, and enjoy as much as you can and don't change anything. That's one move. But another move we can make in the game of life is like, wait a minute. Let's suppose I am a rat in a maze. What are my patterns? Where am I automatically assuming things? Where am I playing smaller than I need to? Where am I not uh, being truthful, daring, and caring, which are three of the pillars I like to talk about? And how do I make better moves in the game of life? How do I play as if this is the only life I'm going to have? And I don't know if I'll be reincarnated or not, but what if this is the only life I want to make the most out of it? So let's play the, let's make the best moves in the game of life that we can. This is kind of a personal red pill, blue pill. Do you want to just keep running the maze and enjoy whatever that maze is about? Or do you want to go bigger? Yes, that's right. And you really can. Byron Katie I love Byron Katie and I spent quite some time with her and someone mentioned the secret, which 
which uh, we have Jack Canfield in common and he's in The Secret. And she, she couldn't remember what it was about. And I said, it's about getting what you want. And she said, ah, well, this work is about wanting what you have. Hmm. And that's a very powerful spiritual practice. So I'm all for that. Fortunately, in the game of life, we can make both moves. We can enjoy what we have even more and appreciate it because I believe that where there's appreciation, there's growth. And we can make different moves. We can look for what's the maximum potential of my life. Am I living? This is the test. Am I living so that on my deathbed, I can imagine looking back and saying, I gave it all? Or would I look back and say, I re- these are the things I regret? Mm. Okay, so th- I guess that kind of cracks it open. You know, if you're able to ask that question, am I able to think forward, deathbed scene, can I say, yep, I'm doing it, or am I stuck in a smaller maze? That's the beginning point for you, kind of the wake-up point. Yes, I want us to wake up. I don't want it to get to where it's too late. I, the deathbed scene is just a way to activate our wisdom. Mm. Let's not get till it's too late and then go, I didn't tell people enough that I love them. I didn't express myself enough. I didn't go for the stuff that I found scary. I didn't, I didn't tell the truth even when it would cost me something. And these are examples, of course. We each need to find our own. Yeah, those are great examples. Okay, so the three pillars are what kind of support that? Yeah, I, I looked back when I, when I came up with the Play For Real brand, which is about playing the game of life and playing it for real as if it matters. I looked back and I thought, what are the three values that have informed my life the most that I believe in and that I think make the greatest difference to a regret-free life. And the first one is truth, add more truth. Second one is daring, add more daring. And the third one is caring. If you don't care for your body, your relationships, and your business, they will disintegrate and they will whack you over the head like a ton of bricks. So first of all, regret-free life. I love that phrase. That's, that's not just uh, about did I do everything. It's who I was in the world. Yeah. Well, for some people, it's hard for me to imagine, but for some people, it might all be all about did I swim with dolphins in the Galapagos? I mean, that would be a pretty amazing thing to do. But I've really, in my experience and from, from, from all the people I've coached, it's deep connection at the end of the day that gives us the best flavor of a rich life. Just look at the movies. How do I know this is, this is not just me and my clients, but for everyone else, look at the movies that we love. It's where we see vulnerability and really deep love and connection. Hmm. So look, swim with dolphins, have that be on your bucket list and go and do it if that calls to you. But I'm more interested in what can you do today, day to day? How can you be with the shopkeeper so that you're real. How do you make a difference to each person you come into contact with? I think that's where there's real richness. Plus, for people listening to this who have a business mindset or a career mindset, this translates directly to bottom line results. You're going to do better. You'll have more promotions. Uh, you'll make more money if you're more relational, more uh, have more truth, daring, and caring. So 
I was going to say you can't lose. That's not true. We can get to that in a moment if you like. But basically, it's a it's a win win. The more relational we get, the more uh, everything gets better. So this is kind of interesting because um, uh, David Brooks talks about the your uh, eulogy resume versus your work resume. And so the eulogy resume is what are people going to say? You know, so now it's not deathbed; yes. it's, it's your funeral. What are people going to say? What are they going to remember you for? And are those right. the things that you want people to say and remember you for? Versus what's your work resume, you know, what's your professional and what you're basically uh, kind of doing is connecting those that how that uh, eulogy resume plays out in your life, how you play it out now also plays out in your work resume of how successful you are there, too. I believe that. And I'm starting to like this David Brooks guy that you speak of. Um, you, You know, we tend to work quite short term and that's fine. You know, we maybe we were evolved that way. Like, how do I feed myself today? But we don't need to do that anymore. And I want us to think longer term, which is how the deathbed scenario or the eulogy resume Mm -hmm. can get us thinking. What really is our life about? And as it happens, it can help us in the short term. As I look, I'm going to make an assertion now. I can't prove it. But I'm going to assert that if I hadn't practiced authenticity, if I didn't take risks by revealing my truth, then I wouldn't know someone like Jack Canfield and he wouldn't have written the forward to my book and I wouldn't be hanging out with, with people that I find absolutely amazing and that I'm in awe of. So in, in my work, definitely, I think I generate more trust in those around me when I'm willing to share the truth, particularly when it would cost me. If I share the truth and it doesn't make me look good, generally, uh, trust goes up. So, let's so go, can we go into truth a little bit? When you talk about truth, that, that, that can mean a lot of things to different people. Some people would say, oh, you're just brutally honest would be one interpretation of truth. Another one would be living something that you feel is in, of integrity. And so there are multiple levels to that word. What, when you say that to, to add more truth, what would that look like? I like, um, I like what you brought up. There are multiple levels. What comes to me is, you know, what about, firstly, what about yourself? Are you hiding from yourself? I know it's a very hard question to answer. Um, but what are you not accepting of yourself? And then what do you hide from others? That's a great place to start. And I don't expect you to have these answers overnight. It's more likely go and do a very powerful course or work with a coach or work with a therapist that you, you know, before you're going to get to some of these answers. Um, I'll give you an example. I could pretend that I'm always successful and that I do everything right and everything in my life is great. It's not. I'm exhausted today. I can't really explain why, but I just feel so tired. I've had uh, two podcast interviews, three coaching calls, and I and a lot of the times today I've been thinking, can I do it? Can I actually do it? Now, that's just an example of something that I might normally want to hide and not tell people, and yet um, there might be times, I'm not saying, not saying this is one, there might be times when it's called for for me to share that so we can be more related and more connected, and I'm not trying to pretend. Hmm. So, what, what, sorry, let me give you another yeah, example. What if you ask a question and I don't have an answer? 
I can make up one or I can try to answer it or I can say, I take a risk and say, I don't know. That's a really good question. I haven't thought about that. Which one is real? Which one has us more connected? Which one generates more trust? You be the judge. Well, and that is interesting because we live in a culture where we um, expect that we should have an opinion and a knowledge about every single thing. So you're at a party, you know, someone comes up to me and says, so what do you think about? And they name something esoteric or practical, but it's not in my area. I could make something up. Yep. yep. That's not very authentic. Or I no. could say, I don't know. That's not my area. Right. And you've raised something now that's very relevant to, to corporations these days too, because I, I coach high performers. And I think the era of leadership where you have to know the answers, you have to like, yes, I know how to do it. This is how we're going to do it, is shifting to an era where it's about having the right questions and being curious. How do we do this? How do we get there? Hey, what's going on with you? How, why do you feel like that? More curiosity versus having to know the answer. And I know that could be a whole other podcast. Oh, but it's a brilliant, I mean, that, that is so brilliant because we, we are coming out of a culture of CEOs being from authority or authoritarian often. Yes. Um, and that they have the answer that they're going to get out there rather than can I mine the answers? Can, can yes. I listen the resources out here and gather them around? and do more of a learning organization than um, me being the, the one who has the answer. Yes. And that takes a little vulnerability. You know, that takes some humility to say, all right, I'm not going to be the king. I'll be the king maker in this situation. So uh, I, I, may, I can just geek out all day about truth. And um, it requires courage. Yes. So you've got courage to, to be willing to look bad simply if that's the way it goes, simply because that's the truth. Yeah. That takes- the interesting thing about that is you're talking about it is the truth is not um, there. So there's two pieces of that word. There's truth and there's the, <laughs> and the danger yes. is us going the, I have the truth that I'm going to have to pronounce to everybody and force on them versus how I understand things my viewpoint, my perspective that need, might need to be changed, but to be willing to share the truth about myself, that, that is probably closer to the truth and how I understand what's going on around me. Yes, good distinction. There really is only my truth. Mm. I, I, if we point towards a universal truth, I don't know any way to prove it. So all I have is my view of the world and I can share that. Yeah. And instead of pretending that it's not sharing your truth, but the truth, which right. is where we tend to be. Okay, so truth, uh, we obviously have just scratched the surface of that, but I want to make sure we get into the daring and caring. Yeah. But let's talk some about the daring part. Yeah, well, daring fits in nicely because it really takes daring and courage to be real, to be vulnerable. Uh, it takes, you know, ex- example, you go and stand on stage. You can posture you can pretend like you've got it all together or you can be real with the audience. There might be moments where you have nothing. Imagine that. Imagine on stage in front of a thousand people and just be like, I noticed nothing's coming right now. Just give me a second. Wow. It takes daring. And it doesn't just have to be daring to reveal your truth. Um, I was at a retreat recently with, with some people that I was in awe of and I realized at the end of the retreat 
that I did four things that were a real edge for me. I, uh, I pitched Jack Canfield on, on doing a book together. Uh, and I imagine he gets a thousand pitches a year. So I, I knew what I was doing. It seemed kind of ridiculous, but it felt right for me. So I did it. There was an Oscar winning producer there. I just met him and I took a bold risk and I said, what would it take for me to do a ride along on your next shoot? I asked a woman out. Uh, I asked her if she would want to go to Columbia with me. And there was a client, who, a potential client who I just wanted to coach. And I said, I would love to coach you. Now, all four of those things I realized after the retreat, I didn't need a yes for any of them. Mm. That wasn't what it was about. The big win for me was self-expression. I was daring simply to, to, to express my truth. And if I got a yes from any of them, bonus. If I didn't, I felt great about myself. And I want that for everybody, that you feel good about yourself because, again, on your deathbed, you can say, I went for it. I don't have to wonder what if. I know because I went for it. I love those examples because they um, – so you could have said to Jack, hey, um, would you read my book, which is kind of what I did. <laughs> hey, Jack, read my book. Right? Oh, my God. And th that was just – that's that. But would you do a book with me? That's a different level. You could have said to the Oscar guy, hey, could I come to the premiere and sit in a seat? You said, hey, could I go along with you? Um, you could have asked this person to coffee, not Columbia, right? right. <laughs> uh, so there are, are lots of different options in there, but you went big. And the interesting thing about going big is you went big, but it wasn't, you didn't need the yes to validate the big. The external results are gravy. They're a bonus. And I, and I want you to have external results and they do come, but how wonderful to just know you're fully living life and you're being you. So this is interesting because you, you talk to Jack and Jack has um, famous for saying that it's a no, unless you ask. <laughs> and so your process here, I mean, it was already a no, no, Jack wasn't going to do a book with you. No, you weren't going to do a ride along. No, you weren't going to Columbia with this person and no, you right. weren't. Yeah. All the, no, you weren't going to have a client. All were already knows. That's a great way to look at it. And if you asked, it's possible that one is a yes. Yep. If it's still a no, then nothing's changed. Yep. So the daring ends up being um, less risky than we make it out to be sometimes. Yes. And those are, those are my examples, right? Um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm scared of heights, but I've gone paragliding solo over the Himalayas. I tend to lean into my fears because I don't want to wonder what it would be like to do that. I want to know what it's like. And I find that each time I push, I push through a fear, my comfort zone expands. Mm. So now I can do some things that are terrifying to other people just because I've had some practice. I tend to go there. Now, there are limits to it, and we'll get to that in the, in the caring. But, but for everyone listening, what's an edge for you? You know, if you've got a pen and a piece of paper and start writing down, like if you were a bigger version of you, if you were fully expressed and you were fearless, what are some of the things that you might do over the next few days or months? It might be work-related. It might be requesting something in your relationship. It might be confessing to something. Um, who, who knows? 
So I've already got my next assignment when I get off this call. <laughs> I've got yeah. it right now. If I was playing it big, yeah. And but I've talked about fear, um, how we use fear as a um, an avoidance indicator. You know, if, if something makes me fearful, I'm going to avoid it. That's that's what that fear should tell me is to avoid that rather than an importance indicator. There's something important there, and sometimes it's important enough for me to go. I need to avoid that safety situation, but sometimes it's important enough to pursue it. And it feels to me like those darings that you talked about are all, you know, there's something within you that probably felt the fear as you were walking up to Jack and whoever else and asking those that was inside of you. And what you were using that to, to tell you was, this is big. This is living bigger. This is moving into a bigger place for yourself rather than I might as well stay away from that because yes. the fear is telling me to stay away. Yeah, sometimes the fear, um, it could be for a good reason. I mean, I've given up paragliding now. Mm. I had an accident in Colombia, and now I'm thinking, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a different message from that. But often, I like the acronym, uh, false evidence appearing real. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would, I would totally agree with that. Yeah. Oh, right, and so I want to make the point, absolutely. as you do the exercise, don't think you have to go and do all these things. Because then your mind might be like, I'm not going to share all these things with you if we're going to have to go and do them. No, this is about awareness. You might, once you've got the list, circle something and say, all right, I'm going to take that one on. Or you might not, but at least now you're building your awareness of where you might be holding back. And which is brings us kind of, I don't want to go back all the way full circle, but in order to understand that maze piece, you're developing an awareness of what would be bigger than that maze, what would take you outside right. the maze. Yeah, let's find the maze. Let's see the walls. And then we might choose to stay within them or we might choose to bust them down or we might choose to drill a hole in one. I, I'm really working the metaphor now. <laughs> so so it's, it's, it, let's go away from that metaphor a little bit and go back to caring. What's the caring piece? And yeah. How does that play in? Well, I found that constantly pushing fears always, if that's all you do, I found it very wearing on my nervous system. I thought I'm a spiritual warrior. I can do anything. I have no limitations. So I would paraglide the Himalayas. I would, I was scared of abandonment probably because of what happened when I was younger and losing my sister. And I found I would gravitate towards open relationships and dating uh, someone who's dating multiple people. I'm like, let me see if I can open my heart and have no limits and not have to be possessive. Well, I found that I have limits and my body whacked me. I, I went into uh, really deep depression. I developed anxiety. And I discovered some humility. I discovered I have limitations. I wish I didn't. I think I shouldn't have them. But there are limitations. And I learned I need to know when to push and when to drive through that fear and when to say, that's too much. I don't need that. I need nurturing right now. I might be close to burnout and I might need to cancel that speech or take work off today or get a massage and take care of the body. Because if we don't, systems tend to break down if we don't care for them. That's the law of entropy. I just made that up. That sounds right. I like Uh, it. Right. There's a reveal. I just made that, I just made that up, but things will, will, will revert to chaos. So care for the body care for our relationships, care for your business and your, and your job, um, do your taxes, have the filing done, things like that. All those things will fall apart. Now, I don't think this is sexy, the whole caring thing. I'd rather push daring and truth. Uh, I just think it's 
it's a it's a practicality that I could not ignore. So there's a, a safety balance to the daring. Yeah, you got to know. You know, I, it just came to me. It's like mother, father, masculine, feminine, yin and yang. You got to imagine you're parenting yourself. You've got to know when to push the kid out and say, "Hey, get out there and swim," and when to say, "You don't have to do that." Yeah. Yeah. What, what, you know what my, you want to do? When my son was young, he was going skiing, and my wife was like, "You know, be careful." Don't fall. Right. And I was like, go fall. You, you got to push it. And he looked at right. us, what do I do? And I said both. Right. <laughs> right. So we need to bring both of those elements to, to, to parenting ourselves and know when to say, you need nurturing right now. And when to say, you need to walk your edge right now. Yeah. And both of those are, uh, it's not that one is more important, uh, but right. I tend to watch that we, uh, we play to the safe way more than we play to the dare. And so the caring is a balance point when you're stepping into that dare. Yeah, it could be. Um, it, it, I don't disagree with you. It just simply occurs to me that people listening probably have a sense of which one they're in. Mm. If they're in the, I'm doing too much caring and nurturing and playing and safe and I could walk my edge more mm-hmm. or you know what, I really do push myself and I could nurture more. My, my guess is people have a sense of that right now. Good point. Yeah. Okay. So if you're wanting to do those three pillars, um, you have a, a plan, four point plan for how you do that. What does that look like so that people can start to build those out? Right. Well, I can't tell you how this plan relates to those pillars, but um, when people say, I want my life to be better, Um, I've been coaching for 20 years and this stuff is not rocket science, but most people are not doing all four of these things. The first one, have real goals. I'll I'll, I'll list them and then I'll go back through in a little more detail. Real goals, a real plan, real action. And then the fourth one is what we've just been talking about, the real growth of truth, daring and caring. So we've already talked about number four. If If we come back, do you have goals? Are you clear? Could you tell somebody, this is what I want 12 months from now? And that would put a huge smile on my face. That would be amazing. I find that energizing and motivating. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what I'm working on. A lot of people don't have that. A lot of people. So that's one. Do you have real goals? Two, let's suppose you got the goals. Do you have a plan of how to get there? Not just wishing But have you even, let's go further, chunked it down to what has to happen each month to get there? And then what has to happen each week? And then what are you going to do each day this week? Now, this is very uncommon. I rarely do it. I I, I don't always use that method. I often, is another reveal. I tend to uh, navigate by curiosity and intuition and what wants to happen each day. But this is a, if you really want something to happen, do you have a clear plan, a real plan to get there. The third one, I love this one. You might have goals, real goals. You might have a real plan. Implement the damn plan. My goodness, I, in my experience, the human mind is like a monkey on crack. And if I sit down in a given day, let's suppose I sit down, I'm going to get to work. The amount of distractions that can come in, Facebook, Twitter, people knocking on my door, phone calls, text messages. 
are incredible. And even if that doesn't happen, my mind will go, oh, hey, did Bill get back to me about that thing? Whoops. Now I'm over here working on something else. So it's actually possible. It's not easy, but it's simple to actually have focused attention and make sure that you're working on the things that you say are most important to you. I call that integrity. Hmm. Most of us, even if we know what's most important, are not working consistently on that. And it's not complicated. Yeah, to me, that's, um, that's that case of, of how many people do, you know, ready, aim, 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 aim. They're constantly coming up with their goals, constantly coming up with the, the planning, but none of it ever gets into action. Then there are those who just go fire, 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 you know, and they're shooting wherever <laughs> and yep. not getting the, the beginning points of that. Um, the last one, the growth you said is about these pillars, but it occurs to me, you said you don't, uh, you're not quite sure how they link up. And I'm sitting here thinking that the truth, the daring and the caring is a great yardstick for each of those are the goals that you're coming up with. Are they about your truth and about, being more truthful in the world? Are they about being more daring? And are they also, do they have a place of caring in them? Your plan, how are you going to pull out, you know, if you create that plan where you're speaking every day, coaching every day, doing all that every day, there's no caring in your plan. And uh, there may be a lot of, a lacking of truth in your plan. Your actions, every one of those has to go into your actions. Your growth Mm -hmm. is about uh, how you, pull those together in my opinion that's just me reading because as soon as you told me those pieces i'm going man those are so linked together i love that thank you yeah so as you go about real goals real plan and real action you can use these three touchstones or yardsticks as you say uh is there truth daring and caring at each level here that's yeah. good yeah. i love how you tied that together uh, well it, it just it, what you were mentioning that i was like i saw the the place and uh you we probably did. do this so naturally that so now there's an outside perspective, right? <laughs> Looking outside perspective, <laughs> which is what coaching is all about. It's yeah. it's it's often just that outside perspective that'll see something like that that I hadn't seen. Yeah, so thank you. Where do most people fall flat when they're trying to uh, play? And I want to get back to that playing at life and what that looks like the, the game of life for you. Where do people fall flat? I'm going to say apathy. I've never said this before. I've done a lot of interviews. But what's coming to me right now is apathy and habit. That's it. And this is, one of the, this is one of the main reasons I believe I exist or I feel that I exist right now is to break through that apathy and the habit of the maze to go, wait a minute. Am I living life to the fullest such that I will have zero regrets on my deathbed? Now, if you can break through that apathy by listening to podcasts like this one or working with a coach or a therapist or going and doing a course or some other mechanism that you have, mastermind groups, whatever, you break through that, I can't think of anything more important right now because then you're constantly asking yourself the questions and checking in. Is this the maze I want to be in right now? How do I want my maze to look? Yes, as you're describing, I mean, I know we keep coming back to the maze, but it just occurs that the more you keep going down that same maze, you're you're kind of wearing out the floor. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper until that's the only thing you can see. At some point, you might have seen other options, but the more that happens, the more the habits and and really what we know about 
neurobiology, that's really what's happening. Those neurons are getting stronger and stronger in the wiring. And so uh, stepping out of that takes more effort. Yes. Worse, you don't, you may not even know it. Hmm. You can't tell. It's just the way things are. And some things occur, some things even occur as like, oh, well, that couldn't change. You know, I, I, we make some metaphors again, but there's a story about the circus elephant. When it's a baby, they tie it with a chain and it can't get away from the stake. And then as it gets older, they replace it with a thinner and thinner chain until finally it's held by a rope mm-hmm. as a full-grown elephant. It could snap it, but it just doesn't believe it could. I saw that in play in India. Uh, and they had a baby and, and they used a rope for the baby, knowing that that rope, uh, an adult could break, but for the baby, it couldn't, they didn't have to worry even about a chain there. They just tied it up and it would pull a little bit and finally give up and decide for the rest of its life. It was unbreakable. Yeah. Yeah. So these are all uh, great beginning places, but we're still at that place of understanding life differently. And that's where I wanted to go back to that life as a game. Tell, talk some about how you see that. Yeah, we can, we, and by we, I mean me, can get way too serious. Um, Life occurs as life and death a lot. And maybe 300 years ago, it really was that. A thousand years ago, it really was like, I might die today. But today, it's not that serious. Our problems like the car won't start and I'm getting to work late or nobody liked my presentation or I don't have uh, any new clients this week. These, these things, are they're really trivial. When you compare it to the people who have no food, or I'm doing training now in prisons, and it really conf- it's confronting to see people with, with s- such limits on their freedom. And our issues are just ridiculous, but the mind presents it as very serious. Again, it's probably a biological evolutionary survival mechanism. But we don't have to be in that, uh, that state. And there's, there's now science and evidence and studies about flow states. Mm. And um, I don't have that science to back this up. I just have a sense of when I can get into a game state. I'm like, you know what? This is not life or death. This is just a game with very high stakes. Then I can have more fun playing. I can make moves. I can know that, yeah, there are consequences. Like I, won't, I may not be able to buy that new thing that I want or that I, I might have some people not like me. So it's real, and we'll get to that in a second. But let's consider life as a game. Now, some people might say, yeah, but I, I, lost, my, I lost my husband to cancer. How can you call that a game? Well, it's a game with very, very high stakes. And we get to make moves just like any game. So this helps me when I'm in a challenge because I can start thinking what move would I like to make now? I get to make a move. There's always some kind of move. Um, But game, particularly in the corporate setting, could be taken to be be frivolous. Like we're just like strolling, frolicking through the meadow with daisies in our hair with another care in the world. Well, that's fine too. That's a move you can make. But what if this is the only life we get? I don't know if I'm going to be reincarnated. What if this is my only life? I want to play, but I want to play for real. Play like it matters. And that's how I came up with the brand, play for real. And it brings in the authenticity bit, the more truth. Like, let's get real with each other. 
it's very again we there's so many things we've touched on that have so much depth but i mean recognizing we, we start off by talking about what happens when you get to the end of life you know whether you're on deathbed or somebody's talking about you so there is a reality to life and death but what feels like life and death is what you're talking about it something happens in the day and you go oh my gosh this is just such a huge thing um it often is not uh, one of the things my wife uh, often talks about is you know is was it a bad day or was it a bad 15 minutes in a good day <laughs> and oh that's good too we get stuck on those moments uh and act that's as so if true. that's that's everything when really it's just that moment and so that's a piece yes. of that game Yes. And Byron Katie says, when things are really bad, time it. Mm. I thought this was genius because the mind, it appears like it's forever when things feel bad, but time it and actually see, oh, okay, at this point I felt terrible. And then 40 minutes or two hours later, I'm feeling fine. Or don't you notice sometimes that you forget to notice how bad things are? You forget that pain in your knee. You forget to be sad. You're like, oh, life's terrible. The doorbell rings. For that next 60 seconds, what happened? Did life get better? Did you not notice that life was bad? Well, that's a question for the, for the, for the navel-gazing gurus. It's this perspective, though. I mean, what perspective am I carrying through the day? Is, is the day the game where I'm trying to decide my moves or something else? Yep. So you have um, a process that you do coaching. And uh, so one of the things that you're offering is uh, a a kind of a chat with you. So talk some about that and how people might be able to find that. Thank you. Um, One of the ways that I find the right people to work with long-term is I offer a discovery session at no charge. I, I love doing the sessions. We create a life and work plan And that might be all you need. If you want to go and implement the plan on your own, I hope you'll let me know how it goes. If at the end of that session, we both decide that coaching could have a big impact on your life, then we can talk about setting up longer-term coaching. So that discovery session, you can apply. I, I can't say yes to everybody, but if you qualify, and by qualify, I mean you're already successful in a number of areas of life. You're having an impact in the world. And you're constantly looking to evolve. How do, I, how do I get more out of this, this life that I have? Then I'd love to speak with you. And you can just go to playforreal.life, playforreal.life, and click on the big button that says request a session. And I want to make the point too, I'm really uh, proud of this process that I've set up because even if you decide not to book a session with me or to request a session and put it on our calendars, Go through the process because there's a five-minute life assessment and you can get a lot of great information for your life. If you want to continue and book a session, we'll review those answers together. But either way, I hope you'll, you'll do the assessment. Okay. So if, if uh, you're listening to this and you go, oh, wait, I'm not ready for coaching, so right. there's nothing I can do, don't miss the fact that there's a free assessment that is the first step in that and make sure exactly you can do that and then just stop and and say, I'm not going to book a session or do it and say, yeah, I mean, to me, I, I used to do risk management and to me, you know, the risk of you spending 45 minutes with me and feeling like you wasted your time pales in comparison to 
what could what could come out of that session. So to me, it's a no brainer. But I'll leave you to 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 be the be the judge. And so that's one of those points where you may say, you know, am I just going to stay in the maze? Yes. <laughs> Maybe even expand the maze a little bit, but still stay in the maze or yes. the time to play at a bigger game and that this might be a part of it. Even the assessment might be a part of it. But Right. There might be some walls come crashing down. Well, and I mean, there's enough in just our conversation today to knock some walls down. And so uh, I've got some stuff I jotted down that I want to work on as soon as I jump off to think about how to do those pieces. So, um, David, thank you so much for sharing. And again, um, the play for real dot life is the site to go for that assessment. And potentially if you want to continue with that to see if you qualify for a uh, discovery session with David, uh, David Wood has been my guest and this has been chock full. We, we might have to go back and dig in some more later on. Yeah, thanks, Lee. Really enjoyed you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Thrivology Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at Thrivology.com or at ThrivologyMagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y. It's your life. Time to live it.